Hello and welcome back to Our House, the podcast series that explores the weird and wonderful houses that have appeared on the front of old postcards. For those that have not tuned in before, my name is Dr Michaela Hume and I'm a professional genealogist and historian. If you'd like to contact me about anything you hear in these podcasts, you can do so via my website which is www.michaelahume.com or on social media which is at Michaela Hume for Facebook or at underscore Michaela Hume for Twitter. So this week we have left Blackpool and boarding houses behind and we have moved south to my hometown of Stockport. So sit back, relax and join us as we go through the front door of the White Lion Inn. Each week, I do actually forget to say this, but if you do like these podcasts, which I'm hoping you do, please don't forget to like, subscribe and share. Thank you very much. So, the White Lion Inn. Now, this is a pub I have probably walked past hundreds of times. It's right in the centre of Stockport. Um, If you know Stockport at all, it's on Underbank. And um, I know it because there used to be a, like a fancy dress shop that also sold dancing gear that I used to go to as a kid so I actually used to walk past this pub quite a bit but I never knew it had such a fascinating history. Now the picture on the front of this week's postcard is not actually the pub I remember and that's because several times over the years the pub was redeveloped and the picture on the front of this week's postcard is a mock Tudor building, it's a mock Tudor design and this was built in 1823 But if you are from Stockport like me, you are not going to remember the pub as looking like this. And that's because in the beginning of the 20th century, the pub was demolished and, you know, a new pub was built in its place. Now, this pub has a really long history. It was actually first granted a license in the 14th century. Now, in order for me uh, to try and not make this podcast go on for hours, I've decided to focus on its post 18th century history. So you're going to get sort of the latter end of the 18th century, 19th and 20th century. I am going to try where I can, just so it doesn't get confusing, um, to call the White Line Inn a pub. Now, in records, when I've been doing my research, it changes its name quite a bit. So it starts off as an inn. Then by the time we get to the end of the 19th century, it's a hotel. And then in the 20th century, we think of it as more of a pub. So I am going to try and be correct as of the records, but you're going to have to um, know that I am actually talking about the same thing. So if I call it a pub, you know what I mean? If I call it an inn or even a hotel, I'm still talking about the White Lion. Now, if you know anything about Victorian pubs, I'm actually quite fascinated by them. And that is because they were actually a lot more than just a place that served beer. They were often a coroner's court. So if you've been looking into inquests, you may find that inquests occurred in the local pub. They were a meeting room because don't forget a lot of places didn't have town halls inns, pubs, taverns were sort of the the oldest place where people would go and meet. They were also a form of labour exchange so if you wanted a job you might go down to your your local pub and it was word of mouth just to see if you could get work. They were also an auction house and the White Lion appears a lot as an auction house throughout 
the 19th and into the 20th century. It's an auction house mostly for property. It also serves as a bankruptcy court. And one of the first records that I actually find of the White Lion is a newspaper article, and that is from 1804. The article was basically a call out to the creditors of James Roberts and Eliza Haywood, who were two men that had been declared bankrupt. The men were scheduled to attend the inn to declare their estate to the bankruptcy commission. They were also there to face their creditors and they actually probably had a couple more of these meetings. So if they, for example, had lived in different areas, they would also have been called to face their creditors at different inns, different pubs, taverns in different areas where their creditors, where they basically, where they ran up debts. So they probably had quite a few of these meetings, normally three. So you normally find that they would have been called before the commission and their creditors about three times. Now, debtors in this period would have gone to prison. And it was estimated that at the start of the 19th century, almost half of all inmates were actually debtors. And you could actually still go to debtors prison up until 1869. And that's when a new act was introduced that effectively stopped it. The next record that I find the pub mentioned in is actually the trial of Henry Hunt, which took place in York in 1820. Hunt had been charged with eight other people of sedition, and this relates back to the Peterloo massacre, which occurred on the 16th of August of 1819. The meeting at St Peter's Fields, which would become known as the Peterloo massacre, was supposed to be a peaceful demonstration attended by men, women and children, all kitted out in their Sunday best. They were there to hear Henry Hunt speak. Henry Hunt was campaigning and gathering momentum for political reform. He wanted fair and equal representation in Parliament. At the time of the Peterloo Massacre, the town of Manchester was represented by two MPs and these two MPs covered the whole of the Lancashire area. Now, Manchester and Lancashire and places like Liverpool had a rapidly growing population. Whereas places like Cornwall, for example, had a declining population, but was represented by 14 MPs. Having somebody to represent the working people of Manchester was really important. And it was really important to them, especially handling weavers who were really struggling, but really desperate at this time. Now, if you want to know more about the plight of handloom weavers and the Peterloo massacre, more than what I'm going to tell you in a couple of minutes, there is a brilliant website um, which you can find on. Um, in fact, I'll put the link to it in the description. So if you go on my website, which is michaelahume.com, there is actually a link in the blog which will take you straight to the Peterloo website, which will give you all the information about the massacre. But basically, all these people had gathered, they'd gathered to hear Henry Hunt speak, and the yeomanry. Um, had been told by the magistrates that they were to go in and arrest Henry Hunt. But they actually went in with their sabres drawn. They charged into the crowd and it ended up being a massacre. It's estimated that 18 people were killed and hundreds, hundreds more were injured. So you may be thinking, well, what has this got to do with the White Lion in Stockport? Well, the keeper of the White Lion at the time was a gentleman named Henry Lomax, and he was part of the Cheshire Yeomanry. So he would have been at Peterloo on the day of the massacre. And 
he actually testifies against Henry Hunt. Now, the trial, if, if you are interested in the trial, all the minutes are online. I'm sure if you just Google it, you'll find it straight away. But Hunt was found guilty and he was actually sent to prison for two years. Now, reform did happen, but it wasn't until 1832 that Manchester got two MPs. And this increased to three in 1868. The next proprietor that I find living at the inn is a gentleman named uh, Mr Birkin. Now, unfortunately, I don't really know a lot about this family. Uh, in fact, I'm not even really convinced that Birkin is their name because we know that newspapers sometimes get it wrong. And I wasn't actually able to find any other records relating to the name Birkin and the inn. But in 1825, I find a newspaper article that mentions uh, a Mr Birkin being the landlord of the White Lion. The article tells a tragic story of an inquest that was held at the inn. Now, the victim was a Sarah Brooks and she was actually the sister of the landlord and was staying with the couple at the time of her death. Her death occurred when she was kneeling down, lighting the morning fire in the sitting room and the blue apron that she was wearing caught fire. She managed to get up, untie the apron and she flung it on the floor. However, it was too late and within seconds, everything she was wearing was literally engulfed in flames. Upon hearing her screams, Mrs Birkin ran into the room armed with a blanket. She continuously rolled her sister in the blanket until all the flames were extinguished. Sarah was taken to hospital and she survived the night but unfortunately died the following day. Reporting her death, the newspaper stated that her sufferings were happily ended by death. The next occupants of the White Line were the Lomas family. Henry Lomas and his family had lived at the address from the late 1820s onwards. On the 21st of February 1834, Henry Lomas sadly died. He was 56 years old. Less than a week after his death, an advert was placed in the local newspaper to sell all the household goods and alcohol from inside the inn. Following the sale, a Mr Ford briefly managed the inn before it was taken over in 1842 by Ralph Warrington, his wife Jane and their only child who was also called Jane. Ralph Warrington was born in Macclesfield in 1796. Before moving to the White Line, he had spent the previous eight years running an inn in Wilmslow called The Grove. Whilst running both The Grove Inn and then The White Lion, Ralph showed his support for the Anti-Corn Law League. The main aim of the league was to abolish the unpopular corn laws, which had increased the price of wheat and bread at a time when wages were being cut. Ralph held meetings in his inns and he also spoke at these meetings. The Corn Laws were eventually repealed but not until 1846. The 1851 census reveals that all the Warrington family were living at the White Lion along with three general servants and an ostler who was in charge of looking after the horses. There were also two guests staying at the inn who were fine art dealers from Ireland and Germany. By 1855, Ralph, along with his wife and daughter, had left the White Lion and had moved to the Warren Bulkeley Arms Hotel. The family did not stay there long before moving to the Vernon Arms in Portwood. While at the Warren Bulkeley Arms, it appears that Ralph's daughter Jane was due to get married. However, the marriage never took place. Now, I know this because I actually found an advert in the newspaper announcing the 
their marriage. And the advert says, On the 5th at St. Thomas's Chapel, Heaton Norris, by the Reverend E.D. Jackson, Mr. Martin Marsland of Bankfield Reddish, to Jane, the only child of Mr. Warrington of the White Lion Stockport. So the marriage was announced in the paper. However, the week after, it actually says um, in brackets, we are requested to state that the notice of marriage inserted in last week's courier between Mr. M. Marsland of Reddish to Miss Jane Warrington of Stockport is not correct. Four years after these announcements were placed in the newspaper, Ralph's wife Jane passed away. Ralph survived his wife by 11 years. He died in 1870 and is buried in Henbury near Macclesfield. According to the 1861 census, the next occupants of the White Lion were 66-year-old Elizabeth Greaves, her daughter and grandchildren. Elizabeth was from Bollington. She did have some experience of running hotels as she had previously been the keeper of the Bridge Inn. By the following census, the White Lion had another new owner and he was a gentleman named James Withington from Eccles. While James Withington was managing the inn, another tragic inquest took place in one of the meeting rooms. The victim was a 10-month-old baby named Arthur Howley. Since he was three months old, his parents stated that he had suffered from, quote, water on the brain. On the night of his death, his father, James Hawley, returned home to the lodging house where they were staying to find that a fellow lodger was caring for his son, who appeared to be very ill. His wife, Nancy Hawley, and the owner of the lodging house had left to go in search of a doctor. Unfortunately, they returned without medical help as they could not convince anybody to come and have a look at Arthur. Determined to save her son, Nancy went to the infirmary and managed, I imagine she probably begged, a doctor to return with her to the lodging house. But sadly, it was too late. When they got to the front door, James informed them that Arthur had passed away. The doctor left before he had even entered the house and went back to the infirmary. The jury at the inquest returned a verdict of died from natural causes. James Withington remained at the White Lion until 1885. After he left, he moved to Heaton Norris and stayed there until his death in 1890. He was buried back in his hometown of Eccles. In 1885, the hotel was taken over by a Mr Duncan Robertson, who had formerly been in charge of the Boar's Head in Altrincham. Unfortunately, he only managed the White Line for three years before his unexpected death in 1888. He was 56 years old. Six years after Robertson's death, the hotel appears in the local newspaper due to the theft of an overcoat that had occurred on the premises. The paper reported that the thief a Robert James Ferguson, had turned to drink and had stolen the overcoat following some misfortunes in his business and family affairs. Apparently, when he was under the influence, he didn't know what he was doing. Hmm, likely story. Taking that into account, along with the fact that he was going to inherit £40,000 pretty eminently, the judge decided not to give him an immediate custodial sentence. Instead, he was handed over to the care of a family friend under the direction that he must go back before the bench when called upon. I can't help but think that maybe the judge 
wouldn't have been so lenient if he wasn't about to inherit £40,000. Would a labourer have really got that sort of leniency? Probably not. By the 1901 census, the hotel is being managed by Robert Robertson and his wife Maud. Also at the address uh, is the couple's three-year-old son, Vida, and Robert's brother, John. The census also reveals that they were employing seven members of staff. Sometime between 1901 and 1911, the Robertson family left the hotel and the Keeling family took over. Edwin Keeling and his wife Ellen had moved from the Chalton district of Manchester. Edwin had been employed as a waiter in Manchester before he had took over the management of the White Lion. The couple had seven children, with three children sadly dying before they reached adulthood. It is evident from the 1911 census that the hotel was a family-run business with two of the children employed in it. Edwin Jr. was employed as a motor car cleaner and Louisa as a bookkeeper. In 1913, the hotel was featured in the local press following the discovery of a male body in a pond near Heaton Mersey Railway Station. Again, you may be thinking, well, what has this got to do with the White Lion? Well... At the side of the pond where the man was found, there was a hat and an umbrella. And in the lining of the hat, there was a card from the White Lion. After some investigation from the Heaton Mersey police, it transpired that the man was a commercial traveller from Kent and he had been staying at the White Lion. The reason why he committed suicide is sadly not known. When World War I broke out in 1914, Edwin and his family were still living at the White Lion. Only a few months after the war had started, Edwin's two sons, Edwin Jr. and Sidney, both enlisted. The couple's youngest son, Sidney, enlisted on the 12th of November 1914. He was 19 years old. He had only been serving with the Royal Garrison Artillery for just over a year when he was tragically killed on Christmas Day in 1915. Shortly after his death, the news broke in the local newspaper. The article stated, News has now been officially received that Gunner Sidney Keeling of the Royal Garrison Artillery, youngest son of Mr Edward Keeling of the White Lion Hotel, Stockport, was killed in action whilst engaged in signalling in France on Christmas Day. His company officer in a letter to Mr Keeling states, I'm writing to tell you how very sorry we are in the battery to lose your son who was killed in action on Christmas Day. Your son was a good signaller and very useful to us in many ways, on account of his knowledge of motorbikes and cars. We feel his loss very greatly and all the officers and men join me in expressing to you and Mrs Keeling our sympathy in your great loss. Following his death, all his personal effects, which included nine photos, a pocket razor, a wristwatch, a belt, two medallions, a pipe, two keys, letters and a pocketbook were all returned to the Keeling family. The Keelings actually remained at the White Line until Edwin's death in 1922. The next occupier that I can trace at the hotel is an Edith Colston. Edith was managing the hotel in 1939. She was born in 1886 and the 1939 register reveals that she was a spinster. The hotel's history from Edwin's death to the 1939 register is somewhat obscure. 
I was unable to find out who managed the hotel during this period. However, I did find the hotel mentioned in several newspapers in 1936 as part of a murder investigation. The victim was a 34-year-old lady named Mary Josephine Holden. Her body was found by a dog walker on the lee stretch of the East Lancashire Road. There was evidence that the body had been dragged from the roadside and dumped at the side of a hedge. A post-mortem revealed that she had died from strangulation. The paper reported that Mary was a prostitute from Manchester who went by the name of Ethel Jones. On the same day she went missing, a commercial traveller named Mr Bluer had parked his car in the garage of the White Lion. When he returned to the car the next day, he found that it had been stolen. Three days after the car went missing, it was spotted by a police officer in Peterborough. The officer stopped the car and apprehended the driver, who was a man named George Boyle. In the car, they found items belonging to Mary Holden. In a later statement, George Boyle admitted that Mary had been in his car. He said that he was giving her a lift to Liverpool when she started swearing and calling him dirty names. He then confessed to pulling over and getting in the back of the car and strangling Mary with her scarf. He said that he did not intend to kill her, but he wanted to scare her. However, witnesses reported hearing Mary shout, stop the car, stop the car. At a later trial at the Manchester Assize, William Boyle was found guilty of murder and sentenced to death. His execution date was set for the 29th of December 1936. However, due to an appeal, which was later lost, his execution date was pushed back to the 4th of February 1937. Less than 24 hours before the final execution date, Boyle was granted a reprieve by the Home Secretary. A year after the start of World War II, the White Lion appears in the newspapers again, when an Irishman named George McNulty pulled a blind up and down from one of the windows. A woman informed the police that she reported seeing an Irishman pulling a blind up and down at a high window in the White Lion Hotel Stockport on several occasions. Frank McNulty, 22, living at the hotel, was fined 15 shillings at Stockport for a breach of the lighting regulations. Constable Littleford said that the blind, which was a thin one, only reached two-thirds of the way down of the window. He watched and saw a man move it up and down. When questioned, McNulty said that it was the wind. The officer said that there was little wind that night. Although the fine may seem a little harsh, blackout regulations during World War II meant that all windows needed to be covered at night to prevent enemy aircraft from having any light that might help them identify targets. Following the war, Stockport underwent some redevelopment and the historical buildings that were at the back of the pub were all demolished. The pub managed to remain untouched and was granted Grade 2 listed status. It continued to be a pub into the 21st century. However, in 2008, the last pint was pulled. The building remained derelict until 2019 when permission was granted to turn the pub into luxury one-bedroomed and two-bedroomed apartments. So that is it for this week. I hope you enjoyed um, The White Lion in Stockport. Next week we are back in Stockport again and we're going to actually be visiting another pub that I've mentioned in this podcast and that pub is the Warren Bulkley 
Arms Hotel. Don't forget, if you like this podcast, please like, subscribe and share. Thank you very much for listening and until next week, goodbye.